We are excited to bring you this episode brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package is the ultimate in men's hygiene bundles. Join over 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code MOPODCAST20. That's M-O-W PODCAST20. Visit manscaped.com, chuck the code in and enjoy. Hey there everybody, welcome to another episode. Today our chat is with Australian music royalty, soundtrack to Murph and Muff's high school years and the incredibly genuine human, Mr. Pete Murray. You know his songs and if you learn guitar for more than a couple of lessons, you definitely learned a couple of his hits. But there's plenty you might not know about Pete and it's pretty special how he opens up in this chat today. For me it's all about setting your goals and how do you get through these, these hard times. Goals are a really important thing that once you can write them down, you can read them and look at them, you know where you want to go. And you can adjust them and change them a bit too. But once you've got those short-term goals and long-term goals, you've got something to work to and you've got some sort of a direction of where you're going. We can't thank Pete enough for joining us. Shout out to Alex Rowe for getting this one right. We love you, Lex. Please enjoy our conversation with Pete Murray. Also, sorry, Murph, but I'm leaving all the family stuff in. I'll get this out of the way before we jump into it. But, you know, like as a, as a kid growing up, early 2000s, Pete Murray feeler and, you know, see the sun. They, they were pumped every Sunday morning with, with my mum and dad and my sister, Caitlin, over brekkie. So Great. very excited to have this chat with you, mate. It's um it's pretty cool. Good, mate. Thanks. I'm noticing now, you know, it shows we're actually getting like, um, you know, my fans back in the day who are kind of like, you know, parents now and even their parents. So you've got grandparents, parents, and even kids, young kids are coming to shows and, so it's good, you know, like there's all the different generations that are, that are coming through. Yeah, it's very exciting. I mean, it must be nice to, to be back playing shows as well. So it's cool to see that the cross-generational uh, the fan base, that's epic. Yeah, well, always nice to get back playing some live music. It's been a long time without it. So Definitely. You were you were at um, Blues Fest, was it, the other day? Yeah, yeah. I just uh, yeah. I closed Blues Fest, um, which, was, which was good. Yeah, Tough good. one because the Monday night crowd, everyone is so exhausted. Hey? So you kind of... You're getting about probably half the crowd that's that's there, but um, mate, yeah. it's still the, the people that were there were just pumped. You know, it was just mm. such a good vibe this year. Apparently, with every 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 person that played had amazing crowds, they were just up for it. So it was, yeah, it was really good. Yeah, so everyone's obviously buzzing to get back there, and it's a it's you know one of Australia's best festivals. So now that's great to hear, mate. Awesome. Um, we'll we'll, we'll get stuck in one thing that. I love to do is throw a bit of a spanner question at the top. I'm going to get my acting on for a second. I'm going to look give you a phone call and I'm going to um, throw one to you and see and see how you go, mate. So are you ready for this? It's, it's a bit out of my comfort zone, but I'm going to give it a crack. But I'm confident with your acting ability and, you know, you look like you look like you're acting already. So, you know. I'm, I'm trying, yeah. <laughs> no. Awesome. All right. Are you ready? Yep. Here we go. Bring, bring. Bring, bring. Hello. G'day, is this uh, Pete Murray? Yeah, who, who, who's this? Who's on the phone? Pete, it's, uh, my name is Pierre Gastov and I am uh, the Australian officer for the TED Talk series, mate. How are you going? Good, thanks, Pierre. Very well. Excellent to hear, mate. I, uh, I'm really keen. We've, we've got a bit of a 20 to 30 minute. I'm going to put you on speaker, Pierre, so I don't have to hold the phone up. Yeah, right. you know what? That's a great idea. I'll do the same. <laughs> Thanks, thanks, Pete. Great suggestion. Um, Pete, we've, we've got a bit of a, a 20 to 30 minute 
gap uh, down here in, in Melbourne for, for our next presentation, TED Talk, and we'd love you to be a host for and, and to fill that 20-minute uh, spot to close the night. And just like to know, one, if you are interested, and two, if you are, what, what topic would you like to speak on, mate? It's up, it's up to me, is it? It is. Well, I, I would probably talk about, for me, I like to to encourage people to do things that they want to do in life and to, to be positive. Um, so I would probably talk about, um, you know, positivity, making positive steps to to improve your life. As a bit of personal experience or lived experience on your behalf, uh, mate, is there, I suppose, what's what's something that you've done in your life looking back on now that you've been really proud of of making a positive step or taking that positive step? Yeah, oh, look, I've had a few uh, few dramas in my life that have happened that I've had to really sort of work my way through. Uh, the first big thing for me, when I was 18, my dad died. Uh, out of the blue, had a heart attack. And that just rocked my world a lot, really... Um, uh, I didn't know what to do. Hey, I was lost uh, for a long time. And it took me about five years to really get over it and to try and to move forward. I was lost for, for that time. Um, didn't realise I went into a bit of depression. When I look back at it now, um, understanding what depression is and how, you know, the symptoms of that when you can be um, very fatigued and tired and not motivated to do anything and not know what you want to do. Um, I went through all that stuff. I was... Um, uh, I would wake up in the morning and I'd have breakfast and I'd go back to bed pretty much and I'd fall asleep again and I'd get up and have lunch and I'd be so tired again I'd go back to sleep. So I was really struggling to 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 get on top of that. And I think once I realised that um, I didn't think it was too bad, the depression, but I was I was definitely, I, I was struggling with it. And I really had to work out, for me, it's all about setting your goals and how do you get through these, these hard times. Goals are a really important thing that once you can write them down, you can read them and look at them, you know where you want to go. And you can adjust them and change them a little bit too. But once you've got those um, sort of short-term goals and long-term goals, you've got something to work to and you've got some sort of a direction of where you're going. And a direction in life is really what you want to be starting, you know, to, to head towards and to move forward. And if you're not going forward, it's it's really hard because you're not going anywhere. And so it's hard to, to make that that step to, to do it. So, you know, during that first five years, I really had to work out what I wanted to do and, and how I was going to how I was going to achieve these things. So writing that down um, for me, I was studying uh, natural medicine at the time. I think I started to study natural medicine then after school and a couple of years after school because I just was a bit lost for a while. But once I started getting into that, I loved it. You know, that was a really great thing for me, and it was really positive because I then started working um, in a gym and and uh, um, working with some physios and and uh, I love that. So. Um, yeah, but I was still struggling a little bit, you know, and I went overseas for uh, 12 months, which was the best thing I could have done. I opened up my world and, you know, I think I picked up a guitar at that stage, age of 21, 22, um, went overseas and started to learn how to play this thing and met buskers and just just got out of, you know, like normal, normal everyday life. And um, I think when I came back, I was a different person and that was a thing for me that I could when With music, I was... Still took a long time to get on that road where I was going, but for me that was um, how things happened, you know. And, and uh, so, you know, all those um, those positive steps that I had to take to get where I wanted to go was, was a really important thing for me. And I, I think I sort of tend to write about that in my music too, like how to people to sort of know you can go through hard times, but you'll get through it. You'll be in a stronger place to help someone else, or just find out what you want to do, work out what you want to do, and get out of the situation you're happy with and move forward. Spot on. I think. Uh... 
I'm going to continue this conversation, but I'm also going to hang up the TED Talk phone and and say I think you can definitely fill the the 20 to 30 minute uh, presentation made on that topic. And it sounds like you've got a wealth of knowledge and experience, lived experience as well. So no, thank you for, I guess, jumping straight into it. It's a it's often something as, as men, it, it can take a lot of lead time in having a conversation like that with, with people, let alone someone you've met, you know, 20 minutes ago, um, not even that. So thank you for, for jumping straight in and, and being so open on, on those times. And, and no doubt, you know, uh, it, not to throw a comparison in any way, but, you know, like I, me and, and Michael, we've, we both lost a best mate around 21 years old. Um, I, I lost a mate when I was 16. Oh, no, just turned 18. She was 16. Um, and, you know, like that, the level of grief as, a, as an 18-year-old, let alone it being your, your father, um, you know, we've got, I've got two really close mates in, in year 12. We were, we were 17. They both lost their mum. And, and to see the impact that it had on them and then to also feel it in a, in a different way, obviously not family, but, you know, close friends, it, it can really make or break someone in, in those years. And, and, you know, 18, you're still a kid. You're still a child pretty much. And Yeah. Oh, look, um, I mean, I feel blessed I was 18, not younger. You know, I feel sorry for, for um, kids that are younger than 18 and lose their parents because it's a, it's a big p- part of your life. Massive, yeah. You know, when it, when it happens suddenly like that to the dad had a heart attack and went, when it's sudden, you don't see it coming and it's such a shock, you know, um, any other way is easy. But I think... You know, I had another friend who lost his dad to cancer. They had a long time. It was a slow process. And he said, look, we had time to grieve with him, but it, we had to see him sort of waste away and, you know, come a shell of it he was before. So that's not an easy thing to do as well. But I think for me, the only thing, the only experience I've had is the, the shock of that, you know, and and that and just how it just affects you so suddenly, you know, it's just like, bang, one day they're here, the next day they're gone. And it was that's it, you know, and then you just really kind of come into terms with that. So, um, yeah, it's a tough time. There's no doubt about it. You're like you are just becoming a man and then you want to, I think I had my 18th birthday a couple of months before that. So I just had my first, we went for, for, di- uh, for dinner to celebrate my birthday and I had my first um, drink with him. I guess sort of talked to him, you know, as, as an adult to adult, as a mate to mate, you know, not mm. a young kid to a dad. And that's mm. the thing I think I... I missed the most because it was I was at boarding school and um, I went back to school and at the end of this uh, school at grade twelve, um, I had um, I went had I went to schoolies week for the week and then I had the national titles athletics that I was running at. Mum and dad came to that, so I hadn't seen them really since my eighteenth and end of school and uh, graduations. So that's where I saw my graduation. And then it was a week later that we had the athletics, and then he died a week later. That was a um, it was a real shock for that for that time, you know. But you know, it is what it is what it is, and it's. I, I think these things are kind of. I don't know. I believe in fate, you know, and that was his time, and you know, that's whatever happens around that, we just have to work with and, and do the best we can. Yeah, I think I think hindsight is a is a, a wonderful thing, and and looking back and being able to recognise that the positive choices now that you made back then but it's also a time where you can you can identify things that that weren't working for you and you know you mentioned um staying in bed and getting up and eating food and going back to bed and at the time that's probably felt like it was the right thing to do um because you know you're comforted in the comfort of bed you're warm you you feel safe and 
maybe you could talk to this a bit more but i was tired you know but i didn't realize what that i was i just thought i was tired i don't know why yeah but it was the depression that was making me tired mm. um and that's the thing later in life I, I kind of once i worked out a bit more about depression and the symptoms of it i was like hang on a second i went through that you know there's like mm. um 12 months of that or probably 18 months that was pretty heavy time for me um and uh you know some people are 19 or 20 at the time so some young guys don't handle that well well and others can get through it and that's the that's the sad thing you know and i think as a as a young man it's uh not understanding what you're dealing with or or, or if there's a tendency to just kind of you know see the the heart the glass half empty rather than half full it's it just kind of it's all downhill you know and they, then they can't see a way out of it and um that's the sad thing because it you know like i wrote a song called better days better days is a well-known song now and it's all about going through hard times knowing that you will get through this we will get through it okay it's as long as we make the right steps it's going to happen and but it will get better things will get easier and then when you when you get through that you're going to be in a much stronger position to help someone else too and which makes you feel better about yourself and helping other people you know so but every hard time we go through it will we will get through it you just have to believe that that's going to happen and, and you know how long it takes it's just going to it'll take that long but um the right positive steps you'll get through there uh, and that's the thing i think sometimes i i wonder whether you know the guys that made the choice to opt out of life if they had just given themselves another day or another week or two weeks or whatever it might be they could be fine you know and you do hear stories of um uh, actually, the, uh, Paul McCurcher, who was the producer of Feeler, you mentioned Feeler before. That he, um, before he came in and recorded Feeler with me, not too long before that, he he um, was going for a run and saw a car that was just running, just just idling, and so he went over and see what's happening. The guy had a tube in the in the window and was wanting to kill himself. So, Gersh opened the door, got him out, and got this you know kept this guy alive and. Um, the guy was so grateful because you know his life turned around, you know. So that moment that he was thinking this is never going to change, you know, went on to, you know, have a, a normal life. So um, how do you get that message across to people? That's the tricky thing, isn't it? You know, and what support do they have there um, to uh, to help them through those times? Exactly right. Bit of a guardian angel moment there. I think it's. Uh... That's pretty hard hitting. That's pretty pretty special story to to share, and um, you know, like it it it's so it's a hard topic to talk about the the one of you know taking you know death by suicide. It's something that we've be, we've become really passionate about uh, through through the work we're doing here. The men of words we've spoken to a bloke called Wayne Schwass, who's an AFL champion, right? He um. I'm not sure. I think you're you're a rugby union fan. Yeah, union, union and league. I grew up with. and league. Yeah, well, I, I still know a bit about AFL and I watched a bit, but it's the it's it's not my main game, you know. Yeah, yeah. So so Wayne Schwartz, this this guy was an absolute champion, you know, Premiership player, um, and at the peak of his power, he you know in the personal sphere in the in the sorry the the fans all saw him as his superstar and up on up on the stage holding the the Premiership cup up. And you know, like he he often speaks about the the what should have been the best day of his life in winning a, an AFL premiership mm. was the highest point of his suicidal life, and he, you know, behind closed doors was desperate, and 
he's doing some amazing work now in in bringing the awareness and trying to bring that prevention strategy and and the you know the thoughts and and he is doing some incredible work at at, at breaking the stigma of, of you know talking about feeling suicidal and and uh, yeah. it's it's something that we we were very privileged to sit down and chat with him about and you know it's it's such a hard conversation for a lot of people to have to to take that first step of having I know but it shouldn't be should it yeah you know, rich that's the thing right it's, and it's not embarrassing it's, either no and you're not the and you're not the first one and you won't be the last one won't be the last that's for sure and it's just that it's you know like and and for your mate was it Paul that yeah you know saved this guy's life the guy in the car all it took was you know all it might have taken was him to turn to his his mate and say, look, this is what I'm feeling. And then that he's, his best friend could have been his guardian angel as opposed to, you know, Paul running down the road and, and happened to stroll past him. So being aware of, you know, when your mate is reaching out, but not reaching out. Yeah. Uh, working at what they're saying. I had another mate of mine who was, um, uh, I'm a Queensland. He's a Queensland. He's from my, my hometown, Chichilla. And he was um, teaching. He was living down in um, Penrith area. So he's away from all his friends and he just wasn't yeah. happy. He wasn't happy in the school really really getting really depressed and um remember talking to him uh, and i just picked up on all this stuff and i just said mate what are you what are you doing right now because he was just i said i said i feel like you just need to get out of your house do, i said do me a favor get out of your house and go for a walk around the block and look around and tell me what you see when you come back that's all i want you to do go for a walk around look around and just tell me everything that you see when you come back so he and he did he went went for a walk and and just looked at trees, looked at birds, looked at dogs, looked at people, people laughing, whatever, people driving past, and just kind of came back and said, Oh, you know, what I've seen. I said, Well, that's life, you know. And if you if you don't, if you're not here, mate, you're not going to see that again. It's gone. You know, so I appreciate what you've got there because there's lots of little things that you can appreciate. Once you get out and look around, the air that we breathe, you know, the sky that we have to look at, I mean, it's pretty incredible. You know, if you just get out, because sometimes we're stuck in our little rooms and you're indoors, and I find I even get a bit down when I'm stuck in the house all day. You just have to get out. Um, so, you know, being outdoors is a really good thing too, getting people out and about and walking around and seeing and meeting other people. Um, you know, there's lots of things. Good um, good food, um, friends, fun, all the F things, you know, they, they go yeah, yeah, yeah. and do this stuff so you can... Um, uh, keep a little thing in your head there just to go, yep, yeah, just do the, do that. It's five Fs. It's food, fun, friends, excuse me, fucking, and um, something else I can't remember. But there, there's there's another one. And just if you think about those things, that's what's going to keep you happy, keep you going, and keep you feeling good. Yeah, definitely. I like it. Um, off the top of your head, how long ago was it that you called your mate? That, you know, like that conversation? Yeah, it was... Um, that was uh, 1999. Yeah, there you go. So, like, you know, mindfulness is a bit of a buzzword at the moment, you know, 2022, 2021, 2020, especially with COVID years and, you know, being present in the moment and taking it in. So it's pretty, you know, pretty powerful to hear that the late 90s, early early 2000s, you, you're putting that wisdom into your mates and, and, you know, trying to help them be, because that's what it was, being present in the moment, being mindful yeah. and, you know, finding connections to, to everyday life. And that's the most, you know, how many people speak about that now as being the most important thing you can do as a human 
is to be present in the moment, right? Oh, absolutely. That's right. Yeah. And we get far too, I think the, 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 the fear we have of what's the future? Future. You know, don't worry about the future because it's we're missing right now. It's a very hard thing. It's what it's kind of it's tricky for us because we we all tend to do it. You know, we all tend to sort of fear about what's the future, what what's 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 happening. But if you do, if you stay present, it, it is a lot easier to deal with that um, with that with those issues. You know, you just you're here. And like I said, I guess that's I didn't know what I was doing at the time, but I just I had to get this guy out of the house. Yeah. And so I guess that's the thing. You know, get, get in the moment and get out there and see what's what's happening. What's happening outside your world where you're actually, you know, like everything's caving in on you and it feels dark and gloomy and go outside and just experience that. So I guess that's the thing, isn't it? You know, get in the moment and, and experience it. And, see. and I'm, I'm, I'm sort of obviously gathering from, from this that you're saying that these are, these are things you put in practice for yourself. Like, you know, you're speaking a lot about how you, you offer help and, and words to your friends and to helping others, but when, it, when push comes to shove and, you know, if you find yourself, you mentioned you hate being locked up at home and, you know, obviously COVID was two years of that and everyone knows that and understands that um, no better here than down in Melbourne. Um, you know, like are these are things that you put into practice daily to help yourself and make sure you're in a really good headspace and, and if you find yourself slipping or, you know, struggling with whatever it may be, yeah, what, what's your sort of go-to strategies? Well, I think um, you know if you if you do find yourself in those situations, you've just got to you know plan. You know, like it's the same thing as like setting goals. You're just planning out what you should be doing. What do I need to do to to get out of this rut that I'm in right now? You know, what is it? Do I do I just call a friend and have a chat to them, um, or I don't know, um, go for a walk around the block? Might be simple as that. You know, poke your head out the window and just look around for a bit. Give yourself half an hour just to sort of make a cup of tea and look out the window. It's really simple things, you know. I, I think, um, um, you know, I, I was in early two two thousand. Not like not long after I spoke to my mate ninety nine. I went down. I made the move to Melbourne to make music happen. And I think it was two thousand and one. I went down there, and that was really the toughest toughest couple of years of my life because I went down there trying to crack in the music business is very hard. Um, back in those days, too, you know, there was no internet. Or very little internet we could do like with mp3s it's just that was you had you had um cds you had to give these out to people you know and that's what it was so and phone calls you're on the phone and you're going down there and um giving stuff out you know um trying to get gigs it was a very hard time for me and i, I got um quite down there too because i was i was old at that stage i think my i must have been 29, 30, and a lot of my mates at that stage were all had good jobs, um, getting married, having kids, and I couldn't afford to even do anything with myself. Couldn't afford to buy lunch. And that was a really hard year, you know. I was struggling um, with that, but it was um, the most rewarding year or two of my life as well because to go through that stuff and to get where I where I got to was a really great thing. And this is also the journey we have to go through. It's not just about getting from A to B. You know, I want to be, I want to be here. So how do I get here? It's just, oh, this shouldn't happen tomorrow or the next week or something like that, you know. But sometimes it takes years and it takes a long time. It takes a lot out of you. So, you know, being patient and and, and having that bit of a drive to um, to get where you want to go is, is 
a great thing, but also a very difficult thing because when you're struggling like that, it's hard. You don't, and, you know, I wasn't sure what was going to happen either. But, and I remember I hated going to sleep at night because I would, I knew I'd wake at three in the morning drenched in sweat, just anxiety um, was a horrible thing for me. Not, and, and once again, I was probably thinking of the future not in the moment so much, you know, and I, like I said, I'd stay as, I'd stay awake as long as I could at night time because I hopefully, I hope I'd sleep through that 3 a.m. wake-up period. Um, it was a, a stressful time. But anyway, like I said, it's that those years really set me up and made me way stronger because I know I can deal with that and I can get, and that's where you've got to understand that, you know, we've, we've all got a lot of strength in us and we can do it. We can achieve a lot more than what we really set out to. Just have to be... Um, focused and really you know um almost resilient take yeah, take it as it comes okay. and yeah it, it's something that stood out to me and you know i i'm just sort of trying to I, i'm i'm hearing things you're saying earlier and now and, and piecing a few bits of the puzzle together and um i want to get back to and i promise we're going to get back to the chat about music and the struggle to to get to the top and, and make it. And I'm really interested to hear your stories there, but you spoke about, uh, you know, after you, after your dad passed away, you headed overseas for 12 months. Um, myself and, and Michael both are huge advocates for travel and, and the lessons you can have along the way. And, you know, going for 12 months, let alone going for two weeks is, you know, it can make a massive difference. So you've spoken about heading overseas for 12 months. You spoke about, moving you know up in your life down to melbourne for a couple of years and really struggling and you know the lessons you would have encountered and made along along the way traveling overseas for 12 months you know it's a hard thing to do to be able to afford to support yourself for 12 months overseas when you're not working and you know especially as a musician i can imagine when you're touring around the world as a musician it's a little bit easier because you're being paid to do it right quote unquote easier i'm disregard the, the chopping and changing and moving around but the you know you put yourself in a position and, and I did it as well where you know you set a budget for a, a trip and you blow the budget within a week or two weeks and you find yourself scratching to to make it to the next next spot and the next destination and you find ways and you find this stuff inside you that you didn't know you had and I think that would have I don't know. I feel like that would have been something that you you could have looked back and reflected on when you made the move to Melbourne and were struggling to to make ends meet and and uh, you know push yourself and keep and keep going. You know, music industry is obviously a like you said a near impossible one to crack into, especially pre internet and you know TikTok and Spotify and whatnot going on now. So plus, yeah, is it, it? I think my age was the other thing that was against me too. I was thirty, right. and I was older than thirty. Right. So you know that's like. People don't make it at that. Mm. So it was a, um, and a lot of guys probably giving up and not having a go. Where I was kind of starting quite late, and I just thought I didn't have that opinion. I was like, no, this can work. I think yeah. if, you, if you can write good songs, it'll work. That was my. That's what I thought. So you know, um, whatever you're doing in life, if you're good at it, you can try and be good at it and improve yourself. Then you know you should be, should have some form of success. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, on the on the music thing, you, you mentioned you came came into it kind of later in your life, you know, early twenties. We we spoke to a handful of musicians that have been playing an instrument since they were 
six years old or you know ten years old at, at school and and you know doing lessons and and whatnot but you you yourself you mentioned that earlier you had some athletics championships that you were going national championships you were going to mentioned you were a rugby fan earlier um so I'm, I'm gauging I'm gathering sport was in and athletics was was your focus as a kid and, and growing up that was potentially where you wanted to focus your your absolutely yeah. your, your drive to so yeah, sports when, I loved it what what was the when was the moment that I guess you made the switch or you know was there was it you, you mentioned your father's passing obviously being so influential in some decisions but was it you know like how close were you to making it as a professional athlete or or, or footballer or whatever it was um I did athletics and rugby and swimming, but swimming was something that I didn't really take to. I just thought that was a bit too boring for training, being you know following the black line up and down. So I've got a lot of yeah, a lot of admiration for swimmers that have had success. The ones that have stuck to that. Um, I loved athletics. I used to run the four and the eight, and um, and I loved the footy. You know, like I just loved being active, playing playing the game. Um, athletics, I I the best I did was I got a um, third at the nationals for the eight hundred one year. And um, I competed at, at the uh, a few nationals, and I, but I just knew I, I actually liked a beer too much. So to be you know a professional um, eight hundred runner was um, a lot of those guys weren't drinking drinking <laughs> beer. I remember going to the um, I won the state titles uh, in Queensland and went to the nationals for the um, schoolboys. And I remember the guy that came second to me at the, um, at the state titles, I met him there, you know, that day we were warming up for the 800 heats and I just had schoolies week on, you know, and um, I got stuck into it, you know, that's his school, yeah, yeah. you know, go hard and have a good time. And I remember seeing him and I said, oh, how'd you go at schoolies? And he said, oh, I, I just went and camped somewhere. And I said, did you drink? He went, no. And I went, oh, geez, I did. So I'd be lucky to, <laughs> I'd be lucky to run two laps today. Anyway, I made the final. Um, so did he. And in the final, he actually won it. Uh, I came fifth, you know, and I just was, I kind of bombed out because I probably just had, still had alcohol in sitting in my car. So <laughs> um, but he, he kind of, you know, went ahead and won the race. And I kind of thought at that moment, well, oh, gee, I could have won that one. But, um, you know, I didn't care. It was like, there's something that I, I didn't really have the desire to go that far. I knew that I liked to have a good time. So rugby was, um, you could have a good time. You could have a beer yeah. game and you could socialise. And I think I really enjoyed that. So that was fun for me. Uh, I met some great blokes at the club and, you know, had great times with that. Um, I um, played some um, state-level stuff with the um, with footy and I got selected in a, a Queensland 7 side. Because I did athletics, I was super fit. <clears throat> yeah. So playing this, the, um, the, uh, the sevens, which is a kind of – um, you got to be fit to play the game. Yeah, so, quick. Yeah, quick and fit. And so, yeah. and I was both. So I was good at it and I could go the whole game where a lot of guys couldn't. So um, I started to shine in that game and I got picked in a Queensland 7 side to go and play in a tournament. Um, and apparently I was a good chance of um, making the um, Australian 7s team to go to Hong Kong 7s that year. And uh, I had um, I played in this tournament before the main tournament that they wanted well there's another tournament they wanted uh, that um bob dwyer who was the one of the coaches back then he wanted to see me play um but i hurt my my posterior cruciate so the knee was pretty sore but i could probably could have still played if i had it strapped and stuff and so one of the the australian selectors said look we, we want to see bob wants to see you play 
So I want you to get in front of him. And I was living with my sister at the time, and I said, well, look, you know, if he wants to see me play, um, here's, here's my number. Tell him to call me because I'll, I'll strap it up and I'll come. But if, you don't, if I don't hear from him, I'm not going to worry about it. I'll just take the time off and I'll rehabilitate the knee and get back and, you know, end of the year I'll be back there again. So I didn't hear from him. And, um, and it was the, the, um, the next trial happened and, and they picked the Australian side. And, and my sister said like a week after, she said, oh, someone called for me there. Someone called for you the other day and um, wanted to know how your knee was. And I've gone, what? And she says, yeah, someone, um, uh, Bob, someone. I'm like, oh, no. I said, well, it wasn't Bob Dwyer, was it? She said, oh, that's him, Bob Dwyer, yeah. Oh, no. Who was he? I said, I, no, but he was just the Australian coach, yeah. So <laughs> that was <laughs> that was kind of my highlight of the um, rugby, you know, and it does, that was like I was a chance of making that side. Um, yeah. I hurt my knee. I kind of missed that opportunity. End of the year, I, I did my anterior cruciate, which was a, a really bad one. Um, yeah. I was pretty much over after that. Yeah. And... Um, you know, I um, it was kind of around that time I was starting to play the guitar, so I just was. Um, I think that's actually when I went overseas. I thought I was pretty bummed about that, and I, I just took twelve months off and had the guitar and had an operation on the knee and went overseas. And by the time I came back, I really was enjoying playing, and that started to to take over where I was going. So you know, what I said before, I believe in fate, and I think fate was you know I was meant to um, to do that. And I had another friend of mine who. Um, uh, he was teaching, studying teaching. I was doing natural medicine. He and I came in his room one day, and he said, um, "You know what? I'm going to go. i get a guitar lesson. I've always wanted to do it. I'm going to go and do it." And I thought, "Oh, that sounds great." I said, "I've never thought about doing that, but that sounds really cool. So maybe I might go get some lessons as well." So I borrowed a friend's guitar and had a couple of lessons, and then just started teaching myself after that for a while. And and he never did. So, but he's the reason I got started. Uh, and about twelve months later. He went and got a job. He was working at the Gold Coast and he came back to Brisbane and I said, Charlie, you've got to come over to my place. I've got to show you something. So he came over and I got the guitar out and we were big Neil Young fans. So I started playing some Neil Young songs. And he was just like, wow, you know, I said, mate, this is because of you that I started. And um, about probably six months later, he had a, had a aneurysm and passed away. And uh, but it, so I called my first child, Charlie, after him. But, you know, I believe in all those things that happened through your, through your life that, you know, you meant to meet these people and they sort of help direct you where you're going. Mate, it's a, it's a pretty powerful story, that's for sure. It's, um, you know, that the highs and the lows right there and then, um, you know, it's pretty cool. And it's, it's really special to be able to have, you know, you've got a, a forever reminder now of, of Charlie and, and, you know, what he gave you in, in the, the direction of music and, and now you can... Yeah, you know, that forever of mine is pretty special, mate. That's pretty cool. And I'm sure the family of, of, of Charlie would be very humbled and, and blessed to hear that, mate. That's pretty cool. I tried to do the teach myself thing and I'm <laughs> not great by any means. Michael, if he was here, would be underselling the buggery out of himself. He's an incredibly talented musician as well. It's something that I have so much envy for, for people that... that can use that talent and, and create some pretty special things. I want to jump from that into, to, you know, 2003-ish, I think, debut album, Feeler, which I mentioned earlier is, was a staple in, in the household. My sister, Caitlin, will, will probably smack me if I don't say that she absolutely adores you and your music as well. And, um, 
you know, we, we sort of used to sit around on a Sunday and mum and dad would be doing the vacuuming or whatever and we'd have, you know, so beautiful and bail me out and please re- echoing through the house, mate. It was um, it was pretty cool and it's, I, I was, it was really a lot of nostalgia hit me the other day when, when we spoke to, to Bronwyn for the first time. Mm. Um, I, I chucked on the record and I just sat there smiling the whole time, mate, and it's, it's pretty, I think it's pretty cool as a fan, but, you know, I'd love to hear your perspective on when, when you hear people talk about, you know, your debut album as well, let alone, you know, sometimes it takes people one or two or three records to, to build a fan base and to have people talking about how special your music is to them. But for your, for your first album to be something that, you know, I, I sat down, you know, I'm 30, I'm not old, but I felt like it was a lifetime ago sort of thing. You know, it put me in that, in the living room at home and I was, you know, just sat there smiling for the whole time. So Yeah, that's what, you know, um, music can do for you. You know, it takes you back in time and uh, takes you back to play, especially when something's really close to you like that. It takes you back to a moment where you started to listen to it and those memories that you have, like you said, with your family, you know, they're pretty, pretty great memories to have with that music in the background. So, um, yeah, look, that was actually my second album. The first album was, Sorry. was called The Game. The Game, but, that's right. So that sort of helped me get feeler and successful because the game had songs like So Beautiful, Bail Me Out, that you mentioned, um, on it. And we took five songs off off the game and put them on it. It was that was uh So Beautiful, Bail Me Out, My Time. Yep. Fall Your Way. And pretty sure there was a fifth song there. I can't think what the other one is, but um, but that kind of we, and we re-recorded those songs because they were the strength of that that album. That that really didn't see the light of day. We I think I sold about fifteen hundred copies, and then we we put it we stopped it because um, Feeler we're, we're recording Feeler. But there was a, a, a an amazing flavour to that, that that album had, and so you know having the experience once in the studio to just get in and do that, uh, and going into the studio the second time was great. Plus we had Paul McKercher who was a producer on that one. And Kurt, I was very nervous about. It. I remember talking about this before we did Feeler, and I about a week out, I said, "Coach, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to do this." And he sat down. He said, "He said, what? Are you, what's wrong?" He said, I'm, "I said, I'm just, I'm, I'm nervous, but I, I don't think of, I don't think I'm ready for this. I don't think the songs are there." And um, you know, at that stage, I had a Melbourne band here and, I, and a Brisbane band before that, and he said, "I like your Brisbane band because they just feel like they just they gel with you better." So we should record that with those guys. And we weren't playing tightly. I was just like, I just wasn't confident. And he said, look, he said, to be honest, mate, I'm shitting myself too, you know, but um, we'll get it there. We'll, we'll get there and you're ready to go, you know. So I was like, okay, all right. So, we, you know, um, going in there, I think I was probably nervous because Sony was involved, you know, you got a big record label that you don't want to let down. And I felt like this is my one opportunity to really, if I can do a great album, these guys will take it as far as they can. Although none of us, myself and Sony, really saw how big this was going to be. Um, when the album was done, I do remember the guys going, hey, this is a great album, a really great album. Um, but I think at that stage they had a goal of selling about 25,000 albums, um, you know, where I sold over 500,000 or whatever it was. Now, whatever it's up to now. I was about to say, well. <laughs> it went a lot higher than our expectations. But I remember thinking, gee, 25, that's a lot of, that's a lot of albums. But it had something to it, you know. I think um, there was so much um, soul and energy and and um, heartfelt stuff that went into that album 
um, it just worked and uh, and it had such a different flavor to anything else that came around at the time and um, you know it was uh, I still thought it was going to fail when I finished and I, I went into a bit of a I was called a post album blues where you just can't hear anything good about it and I, mm. I just mm. and um, you know it took me eight years I didn't I could I never listened to the album from start to finish for eight years right. couldn't do it so it was only when um, eight years later uh, Darren Middleton from Powderfinger gave me a text and said hey just listen to Feeler what a great album and I just was like far out I still haven't listened to this album so you know I'm, I'm questioning it going is it a great album so anyway I made myself listen to it from start to finish without stopping it and um, at the end finally after eight years I went actually you know what that's a really good album and I was so relieved to, to you know because it was that was a yeah, it was tough. That's a, you know, like I, I, I have never sort of spoken to anyone that has said they've not listened to their own work. Um, and I, it's an interesting concept of the, you know, post-recording blues and, you know, it's, was it a pride thing, do you think, or just like the fear of, listening and then you know you mentioned you don't you could only hear bad things you know i think that's something it's a skill that you have to learn to to read the good and the bad not just you know we we naturally gravitate towards the negative right so it's it's obviously a skill to to learn but was it the fear of that do you think you know people saying a negative you know leaving a negative review somewhere and you going oh well if i listen to it again it's probably shit so i'm not going to bother or was it yeah yeah. yeah, I think back in those days, um, well, we, we weren't getting negative reviews. That's the thing. Yeah, we were okay. still getting yeah, really right. super positive reviews, but I still couldn't understand yeah. why it was successful. Um, I think for me, you know, the game had this certain a dynamic to it um, and had a little bit more excitement to it, I felt. So when we did Feeler, I felt Feeler was um, didn't have enough dynamic, you know. I thought it was not quite interesting enough. But really, that's what made it special. Yeah. And, you know, really that that's what Paul McCurcher brought to it. And I remember we were doing the song Lines was the fifth song. That's right. Lines, yeah. Cool. Lines and Lines on the Game is like, it's just raucous. It's just, it's, it's let, I've just let it off the leash. You know, I'm singing yeah. the distortion, yeah. the, the distorted mic, and it was just a rock song. I just let it go, you know. And I remember when we re-recorded it, I said to Kirsch, I want it to be like that. And he said, no, no, you don't want to do that. And I was like, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't want to do that. I said, yes, I do. He said, no, you don't want to do that. <laughs> like, I was a bit frustrated because I felt like it should have this more dynamic. And um, But he kind of, he had it that all the songs flowed really well and it worked as a body and it really worked well as a body of work from start to finish. And that's where you, you have a good producer that can come in and go, I know how this is going to go, you know. And when you've got the artist going, no, do this, do that, and they kind of, they know better. You know, at that yeah. stage I wasn't as experienced, you know. So, and I think that's what probably made me feel like it wasn't as dynamic as what it should be. But really, it wasn't about the dynamics, it was about the songs. And it was songs flowed from one into the other and how it, it took people on a bit of a journey and people would play that album from start to finish and and then put it back on again. And it was just, you know, every song was a song that people sang along to when you played it live. Um, it was phenomenal. So you know, it really was incredible. Yeah, no, mate, it's it's a it's a it's a album that that I will b- 
be connected to forever, mate. So yeah, it's pretty cool to hear your side of the the story. I suppose. Um, I from off the top of my head, there's a stack of Aria nominations from that. You know, a handful of Aria nominations from the record as well. So there's, you know, I think over your career you've had sixteen or seventeen seventeen nominations. Like that's incredible incredible thing to look at and and you know the achievement of that as a musician and you know if you if, it's probably a bit of a cliche question here but if you were to jump back to 2001 in Melbourne and you you know you're scrambling and hustling and we bumped into each other on the street and I said hey mate in 20 years you're going to be a 17 time aria nominated artist you know is that have you had the opportunity to sort of reflect on that and you know feel how epic that is in 2001 I would have I probably believed that I could do that. Yeah. A few years earlier, when I wasn't really doing music, I would have laughed at you. Yeah. I think I had this belief once I started, you know, and I recorded the uh, the game in 19, 2000, year 2000. Okay. Yeah. And uh, 2001. So I had started to kind of, you know, and I was getting good feedback from, from the live venues in Brisbane, the small indie venues. And so I felt like this confidence was there, you know, but before that, um, if you had said that, like I mean, I, I say, you know, if someone had said to me at school, yeah, yeah, we're all in grade twelve, and they said, "Mate, you're going to be a professional musician, a successful musician," and I'd be like, "Yeah, right. I don't even play music." That's the time I would have been going, "Well, that's you know, that's crazy," but that's what life holds for you. You know, going back to this when we talked about it before, where you, um, you know, we get down and depressed because we don't. We don't know what we're scared of. We're not going to get out of a certain situation. Just my life, for example, is something that just turned on its head. And I, I, I love my sport. I had a knee injury that just stopped me. That was hard. You know, I didn't didn't think I'd get over that. You know, I was really um, down about that. But then have you know um, where music took me is just something that you don't see happening. And that's the thing with life. There's there's so many changes if you get out there and let get into life and let it happen for you, then you can have some amazing changes and some, and some amazing experiences. But if you don't and you don't ever get out and don't try to experience it, then nothing's going to happen for you. Mm. It's it's kind of like a really interesting concept in terms of like transitional moments in your life. And it sounds like, you know, you've had, just talking to you now, there's three that I can hear straight away. You know, you mentioned your father, that's a overnight transition bang there's sport and you know sliding doors transitional moment with your sister missing or not passing on a message and then you know you happen to hurt your knee and bang there's a transition you know a a shift in your focus and picking up a guitar and going okay i want to i'm going to do a lesson because my mate charlie said you know there's a three transitional periods now and um you know fatherhood i guess is a transitional period and something that um, is very relative to us at the moment with with Michael and and his newfound status as a dad and it's uh the the way you handle a transitional phase I suppose is where you find the character in a person um and I I, I feel like each you know each time in your life that you've mentioned already your character has progressed and built and built and like you said earlier it's very easy for some people to go the other way and whether it be you know leaning into other hobbies that are not healthy and and um you know it's really cool and one thing that stands out for me is you know you're you're like 
willingness to share these moments and to speak up about these struggling moments in your time and in your life and well they're, they're the times that make you they're the times that make you special because they're the they're the times that you you know either you you step up or you step down and they're the things that i got life is going to test you every every moment that you do something it's going to test you why would it do you think it would be as exciting if we just went oh i want to be a rock star and then the next day oh here we go it's like you haven't earned it you haven't worked for it and pretty soon you're going to be bored with that because there's nothing to talk about you know how'd you get it oh one day i just thought about it next day i was i was there you know it, there's nothing there's no journey so this is the journey and it's 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 everything that's we're going to be tested with there's going to be brick walls every time people there's going to be no's people saying no to you no 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 you're not good enough you're not big enough you're not fast enough it's not going to work you're too old you've got to get over those things and keep going forward so that's where you can look and you know at the end of your life and go wow what a ride that's been you know i've i've done all these things that people said i wouldn't do or you know, even just within myself, I've gone, I didn't think I was going to get there, but I have, you know. That's when you can look back and go, gee, I've really um, achieved this. And, and you know, you don't have to be, people don't have to be successful in everything. It just might be a simple thing like I want to have great mates that I can spend the next 10 years with and do these trips together. And that might be the thing that they want to do. You know, you don't have to be a famous person. You don't have to be mm. like that. So it's it's whatever goal is relevant to the person who's, who's who's there you know and you know there'll be dramas along the way with that too if you just want to you know go traveling with your mates and things that you can and can't do that's it's going to happen you know so um expect that you know that that life will throw you a curveball and you just gotta you gotta deal with it and how you deal with this is the way that you either go forward or backwards for sure mate i feel like i'm just listening to a guru talk i feel like i need to you know five years ago me needed to have this conversation with you and yeah. um you know the, it's unbelievable i feel like i need to be like calling you on zoom every two weeks just to check in and be like hey pete this is what's happening fill my cup up again man well i had i'll tell you back to when when dad died after that you know and i saw dad's life and he um he worked he was a watchmaker jeweler lived in a small country town chinchilla four hours west of yeah so dad was a watchmaker jeweler and he had sold his business and him and mum had bought a caravan. They were about to go traveling around Australia for 12 months. And then they were going to go and live at the Sunshine Coast. Super exciting stuff for someone that's worked his whole life in a small country town um, and was about to go and have a trip and then live at the Sunshine Coast uh, up in Queensland. Yeah, like that's exciting. Mm-hmm. He worked for 12 months for the guy that he sold the business to. Um, two weeks after he'd sold the business, he had a heart attack and died. So they were ready to go. They were, I think, you know, the mum and dad, the caravan was in the backyard. They were like weeks away from going on their trip and this happened to him. And I was I was angry, mm. angry for him, you know, that that happened. And I, but I remember saying that at that stage, this is not going to happen to me. I'm going to make sure that I have a job that can that I can travel with because I want to travel. I just want to travel. I want to, you know, especially, especially going up in a small country town in Chile, you want to get out of the place, you know. It's, mm. that, it's, it's not... It's a small world. So, you know, I wanted to I wanted to travel. I wanted to find a job that would take me around the world and I wanted to make sure that I have a job that would give me time to spend with my family because I missed that with Dad. Mm. It was busy a lot, so we didn't really get to play much and do things together because he was always working. So for me, it was about time with my family, 
traveling and getting a job that I could, I don't have to work hourly for, you know, I've got enough of an income that I can um, do these things. And it was a lifestyle choice. It wasn't about being, you know, the most famous or the richest person in the world. It was about, it was a lifestyle, finding that job that would, that would allow me to do these things. And that was, that was a goal I had from, you know, not long after he died and I achieved it. I have time on my hands. I have so much time on my hands, you know, um, with work, music, we go on, we work hard, we go on tour, we do things and write music. And, but I have time on my hands to spend with my kids. So I've grown up with my kids. So I have no regrets about that because I've just spent so much time with them. Um, sometimes when they've got their sporting events on, I'm the only parent there because other parents are working, you know. So I mm. feel blessed, but that's the goal I made years ago. So just to sort of make you think about what, how you want, what you want out of life. It's really important that you do set these things and think about things and think about it a lot, what you what you really want to do. And and you can achieve it. If you write it down, you, you read it, you, you'll be surprised what you can achieve. Mm. Manifesting. It's it's um yeah, it's pretty significant, isn't it? It's it's amazing how like the how simple some of these concepts are and the things that just seem so difficult for us to do. You know, writing down on a piece of paper for a goal. Well, that's the easy part. Right, that's it, right? So, but that seems like the hardest, sometimes that can seem like the hardest part. And I think it's yeah. it's a really poignant sort of connection to the conversations that, you know, we're having right now. You know, the easy thing to do is to reach out to a mate and say, hey, I'm struggling. But it's also the hardest thing to do. Yeah, but as, as we said earlier, it, it shouldn't be hard to call up a mate. And mates, they want you to call them if there's a drama, if there's anything in your life that's getting you down. Your mates are going to be the first ones there to help you. You know, that's the thing. So um, I think from what I can tell other people, when they've thought that way before, they feel like I'm best if I'm not around because I'm going to, I'm just, I'm so miserable with myself and, you know, I'm just going to make someone else's life miserable. So I'm, it's not the right way to think, of course, but that's the tricky thing, isn't it? Because they do think that. And they don't want to be a burden on anyone, but um, you're not a burden. It's the thing. I no, that that is uh, yeah, hit the nail on the head. I think that's there's there's two sort of like segues in that little passage of of conversation there that I want to I want to jump onto. Um, before I do so, I'm going to come back to that again. I'm going to circle back to that, Pete. But um, you know, I sort of mentioned earlier your your willingness to just open up and, and share and, and talk about these experiences of your life and I guess as a outsider looking into a musician's way of life and, and a songwriter as well songs are there and lyrics are there to tell a story and you know for me it seems like listening to music is listening to the songwriter you know tell of their struggles and, and whatnot and um, I'd love to know if that is perhaps something that you or the way you see your songwriting and, and the way you, you make your lyrics in terms of, you know, if it's talking on something that you've struggled with and the best way to do it is for you to write down and make a song and, and see if that helps you or, you know, is that is that how you go about your songwriting or do you, are you more just it comes to you and then you're happy to see where it takes it? It's a bit of both really. You know, some songs do come to you, other, time, other songs you, <clears throat> I think for me, I do write about life experiences. So, um, you know, my time, for example, the, the song that's on the game and also Feeler was a song when I, it's one of the first songs I wrote, you know, about, and it was also, it, it's it sort of, for me, that's about my dad's death too. And, um, 
you know, um, what's the chorus? Um, uh, Life Slip Away, you know, which was um, really just about the songwriting process and how I was just like, no one's paying me for that. Is this ever going to work? You know, like, and and then in the bridge, I think there's a mention there of, of, that's for my dad, you know, like, um, I wish you were here to, to speak to me, you know, things like that. So, yeah, you know, that song yeah. is um, all those feelings that I was having writing that song, you know, coming through into that song, is, um, all those those fears and um, concerns that you have about trying to be a songwriter, which is a really mm. thing. Because like I said, no one's paying you an hourly rate to write songs. You, you're taking in your chance to, to hope for the best and hopefully it will work because you could spend years doing it and nothing will happen. Mm. Mm. That's really interesting. Um I want to I want to also and it maybe is a nice way to move into uh, a bit of like shop talk on the new EP and you know you mentioned uh, you know people don't want to be the burden on their friends right and the easiest thing to do is to to be like oh no I'm better when I'm not there um you know one of one of your new songs you give me something has a, a lyric that really stood out to me was the because um, when it gets hard I go down the easier road right and you know, that sort of encapsulates that feeling of when times are tough, the best thing for me to do is pull back and just stay home and not, not bring people down. You know, that, that sort of connected just as you were saying that there. And I think it's a nice little segue into, into Before I Go as well and, and, and the new EP, mate. But is, is that sort of where maybe perhaps for you give me something, is that relatable in, in terms of, you know, meeting someone and... and well, not wanting to, yeah. Using that that lyric um, is a perfect example of you know, it's it's it, it's really encouraging people to go. Don't do that. Mm. This is what I do, but don't do that. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to make a change. You know, so um, it's making change in your life and making sure that you um, <laughs> are aware that you, yeah, I keep doing that, don't I? Yeah. So stop. How do I change it? And then you know, so I, I look lyrically. Bits and pieces of, um, you know, when you start writing a song and the meaning it might have, what you start off with can change a little bit, you know. And I just I t- take aspects of what I've been through, where I'm going through, or sometimes of what someone else is going through. And I'll, I'll write about that from from my perspective, put myself in their shoes and write about it too. So, but like I said, yeah, that, that particular line is really is, is one to go, hey, you know, think about what you're doing here. Don't do the same, don't do the same mistake again. Yeah. I think in terms of like a, you know, relating it to the Men of Words podcast, the mental health field, you know, for for me and my lived experiences, I would wake up every morning at the peak when I had, the, you know, the peak of my anxiety and teetering into the depression as well. It, I'd wake up every morning and, you know, my girlfriend at the time, now fiance, would, you know, roll over and try to give me a kiss good morning and I'd sort of just like brush her off and, you know, try and tuck back into bed and, at the time I didn't think there was that I was doing it and I didn't really under, fully understand that that's that you know that's a sign of of anxiety and depression I didn't want to get out of bed I didn't want to interact with people and you know probably the easy option it was the easy option right also like, too into your own life in the way that you're concerned about your own fears and it's going around your head a lot mm-hmm. you kind of miss people because you miss cues and, yeah. you just miss them and it's really yeah. important to, to to be present in other people's life as well, not just in your own, yeah. but noticing other people, 
notice yeah. kids, I know, you know sometimes it's easy just to, you know, and not like I just still do it myself, you know, when you're thinking about something you've got to do and your kid's trying to talk and you go, hang on, hang on, you know, just you're doing it or they're crying and you're like, suddenly you go, hang on, they're crying, like stop this. And yeah, uh, yeah. so, um, you know, it's an easy thing to do, but, uh, you know, as you say, being present in that uh, will help you with uh, your anxiety and everything that you've, that you've got and letting that person in, like the kiss in the morning is a great way to start the day, isn't it? Right. Smile on the dial, that's for sure. Um, before I go, was released a couple of weeks ago now, 1st of April, um, bit of a journey to get to, to the EP or was it a pretty was it pretty smooth sailing in terms of writing and producing and getting it out into the world? Yeah, I went overseas and did some co-writing. It's the first time I've done that before. So that was kind of pretty um, nerve-wracking for me. I just thought, used to sort of my own company and getting my songs done when I like. But when you're over there, you've got to get things done <laughs> when you're in the room with these guys pretty much. And you don't want to be the one that lets the, the drops the ball and doesn't sort of come up with the good. So, uh, but it was good, a good experience, you know. I really enjoyed it and felt like there were some really good songs cu- came out of that. Um, and this this body work was obviously we came, it all was ready to go right before COVID hit. And that just, you know, slowed everything down. So I think we, we held up for a, for a year and then the night came out a year later, and then um, we um, beginning this year, and then um, or end of last year, and then yep. this one came yep. uh, a few weeks ago. So um, COVID definitely made it a bit hard, but everything else is pretty good. I've sort of, you know, recorded, um, wrote some songs overseas, wrote some songs here, jumped in the studio. There's a bit of to and from from overseas with a couple of guys I was working with, um, and just uh, you know had Garrett Cater. Uh, producer here in town Byron Bay a good, good mate of mine came and helped me put the put the album together so it was a fun fun process you know Garrett and I are good mates so we pretty much laughed all the time and had a, had a ball so um, not too many dramas I think it's just normal you know recording an album you just some songs come together easier and some just take a bit of time and it's the challenging ones that you get you know to do your head in a little bit but um, you know we got there in the end so uh, you know and to be honest it's the the night um, haven't seen any reviews on this one, but the, and I don't usually read my reviews, but this um, there were some really good reviews on on the night that that, that body work was was great, and I think feedback on on um, before I go is also a um, it was very positive too. Um, so for this this was recorded as an album, but because just the day and you know the day and age where we live in now with Spotify, there's no point putting an album up anymore. It's just the work. So. We chose to do um, two EPs. The night before I go is actually an album called, and it will be called "The Night Before I Go." So I'll put. Oh, cool! And um, it's a lyric from, um, gosh, what's the, so- the song? And the last song on the <laughs> on the night, um, waiting. Is it waiting? I think it's called waiting. There's a lyric in that. The night before I go. How do you go about? Like, I'm always interested. How do you go about picking a an album title or, a, you know, picking that that lyric to be the one that it's, ties it all together? Well, this one was pretty tricky because I wanted this to be an album. So I had to, yeah. I, I just thought whatever it is, it's got to blend. So what the first EP is has to work for the second EP. It's got to work. So um, I, I thought of lots of different things first, but I think when I start, I couldn't find a title and then I just went, I'm going to start looking for lyrics in the in the songs that, that, are going to work for this and then i just discovered this one it was you know the night before i go i, thought, I just love that song and the night before i go is great i thought you know this is 
mm. like at the night before I go and we haven't done it yet, but it's going to happen soon now that yeah. the EP's out. So, you know, I mean, Feeler was just, um, um, what's it, the, the lyric in that? Um, oh, trying to think of my songs and trying to, you know, on the spot when you... you got a big catalogue to go through, mate, that's for sure. Always onside in these imaginary fields of love, uh, which is not, but I think from that I was like, feels, it's not, feel a double f double e l but i just went yeah it was feeler i just went it's a real feeler you know i think i just might have said that one day i went that's not a word and i said but I, I love it you know so i just called it because the whole album was a real had a real feel to it you know yeah yeah for sure so it was like it was a feeler real feeler of an album you know um so it's funny how that just comes up you know you gotta try and keep them as interesting as you can i think yeah no it's interesting thank you for sharing that it's uh i've always wondered because you know there's some some artists have will title a record that has no meaning to the, the body of work at all or like you know they've just been like oh that sounded cool i'll throw that on so it's nice to hear that it's got to have some sort of connection to it i think you know right yeah for sure i think so um i i really you know i have I've had a good listen to to before i go and i really enjoyed you know i felt a lot of similarities between early works and and this as well and you mentioned earlier um playing at blues fest recently and did you did you get any of the new music out on stage and and if you did what how do you feel it went like did was the crowd you know you mentioned earlier again you had three generations of you know mm. grandparents parents and and children at some shows you know did did you feel like the the older crew that listened to you that you'd have known you for the whole time people are always to gonna it? love you know the older stuff um you know, feel us, see the sun, opportunity, better days. Those songs yeah. are, are that well known and entrenched in people's minds, and yeah. takes yeah. you back. It's nostalgia. Uh, the new songs, they may get that, but not right now. You know, it's going to take a bit yeah. time for them to sort of blend in. But um, yeah, we're getting a great response from them. Still, I played three new songs. I think I played um, "Found My Place," "If We Never Dance Again," and "Burning Up." That I did so. Um, and even playing, we haven't had a chance to, re- to rehearse yet. We've just been playing shows because we haven't, because of COVID, we haven't had a chance to sort of get together and jump in a room and, and rehearse. So the new songs are still, we're still getting our heads around them at the moment, but they're getting better. Nah, awesome. It's all it's all part of the fun, right? And, right. you know, you haven't done it for a couple of years, so it's nice to be able to actually have a crack at it again and, and have the crowd there. Yep, yep, yep. No, no doubt. One little connection I want to make, with something that we do here on the podcast frequently and something that you said earlier was about, you know, your mates are your mates and they, they want to hear from you and they want to know when you're feeling down and out or, you know, they want to be there for you. Part of the conversation we like to implement each time is um, something that was inspired to us by a crew called the Resilience Project. I'm not sure if you're aware of the work that they do and uh, one of their, one of their, Head honchos Martin Heppel um, inspires people to give their mates a call, I suppose, and yep. you know, you know, tell them they love them. And it's something as men that we don't stereotypically do is, yep. is, and that you know, unless you know, you mentioned you're a bit of you enjoy a beer, and it's something that that we as men do after a few beers, we're happy to throw our arms around each other and yeah. confess our love. When we do that. We say, you give each other a hug and say, I "Love you, mate." You know, I think it's really important to do it. And I don't think it's an embarrassing thing. It's just, um, you know, you do it once or twice and you get used to it. It's not a big deal. Exactly right. Exactly right. And one one thing I'd love to do is is give you the opportunity um, on the show to 
to not call out but to, to send a bit of loving you know to a mate that you think you'd like to tell and whether it be you want to pick up a phone and give him a buzz or if you just want to stare down the barrel and and tell one of your good friends you love him and why and and I can uh, we can chop it up and, and pass it on to you to well, I meant- to send their way. Sure. Um, I mentioned the mate of mine before, um, Penrith. You know, there's that mate, Michael Wise. Wisey, I call him. Um, but Wisey, you know I love you, mate, and we've uh, had many conversations. Um, it would be mates since we were at school together, and um, I think about you regularly, and I just hope you're hanging in there, mate. Wisey still suffers um, um, a bit of depression, and... Um, you know, he's um, um, suffers from bipolar and he, he knows that and um, he, he does the best he can to deal with it. So, Wisey, uh, this is for you, mate. I love you dearly and I'm always thinking of you. That's very beautiful. Thanks, Pete. I, yeah, appreciate that. And like you said, it's definitely not something we should be embarrassed about and it's it's pretty special. And, you know, if we, we've watched, I think we're up to episode in their fifties now, and we've watched a lot of people do that for the first time, mm-hmm. um, and and see the the fear. I suppose it is the fear of of being put in an uncomfortable position and situation they're not they're not used to, and it's pretty special to see and and hear back from them now saying like, oh, you know, I've kept that up, and you know, I, I really value. Well, I'm I'm used to it. Hey, I, I say to my sons, you know, I love you all the time, and my kids because um, my family we didn't do that. And I, I, I wanted to do that, you know, like it was, uh, so for me and my family, I make sure we do that. We say, we tell each other we love it, we love you and, you know, it's not uncomfortable and we say it all the time. Every time we say goodbye to each other, you know, and, it's, you know, that's just what you do. I hear that and I, uh, I really appreciate that. And I'm, I'm one last little random question at you, Pete. Um, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to sort of, if, if you were to be sitting down having a conversation and hosting your own mental health podcast here um I'd, I'd love to hear who you who you would like to share or would would like to um mention to us to reach out to in terms of having a conversation and hearing their story and you know it could be anyone from you know you mentioned you're a big rugby fan i'm i've gone cam smith or billy slater you know the, yep. the the heroes of melbourne storm down here but um or you know it could be your next door neighbor and you know i'd love to hear if, yeah who who you would be would like to sit down and have a conversation with? You know, um, well, there has been a few um, rugby guys that have struggled with, you know, and, and league boys that have struggled with that, um, with, with depression. You know, uh, the resilience project you're talking about, uh, when I was on, I went on the SAS show and I met um, Dr. Dan uh, Pronk, who was the doctor on the show. And he's, he's uh, involved with the guys with, it's called the Resilience Shield. And they just like the lot of lot of guys that um, basically, um, you know, or Dan deals with these guys uh, that have been in the in the war, and have come back um, different people, whether they've been really badly injured or just have mental problems now. I think I'd like to talk to some someone from, you know, who's come back from one of those missions to see what how they are and how they're dealing with those situations. It's a not a forgotten feel, but I feel like it's something that people are scared to have a conversation with, with people that have been in those situations. You know, war. It's a it's a scary place to be. So, I love it. That's a that's an awesome one. Was it Doctor Dan Pronk? Did you say Dan Pronk? Yeah. And the Resilience Shield. No, very cool. Thanks, Pete. That's um that's awesome. Questions. I feel like I'm 
if I keep talking, I'm just going to start fanboying and and uh, okay. trying to love you too much, mate. But really, really do appreciate your time today, and and uh, really excited to hear the new music is out, and and hopefully, uh, hopefully you're down in Melbourne playing a show in the near future and we'll be, we'll be getting along and I know my family will probably all want to come. I'll give you the inside word right now. There is a show in uh, early September. There you go. Do a little one in Melbourne. Um, It's a little, nice little venue too at the corner hotel. You know the corner? Ah, very good. Yeah. So we just can do a little small one there, but um, keep keep an eye out for that one. Well, that, uh, that brings us to the end. Pete, it's, it's been an absolute privilege to, to sit down and have this conversation with you, mate. I'm, I'm, very humbled to be in your presence like I said I'm a bit of a fan from way back and it's very cool to to be in this this position to have the opportunity to speak with you and and I want to thank you for for your openness and your willingness to share from the get-go um all of your all of your life lessons and and journeys and experiences mate it's been an absolute honor mate my pleasure I've enjoyed having a chat to you as well so yeah we'll have to do it again sometime soon sounds good I'm I'm for it uh for everyone else that's listening I hope you've enjoyed this chat. It's a it's a pretty special one for me and, and for all of you, thank you very much. This has been the Meta Words podcast where the little conversations can make the biggest differences. 